Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. And I'm Stefan Cohn in London. Every week, we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand-in-hand with baking for those we love. It's July, preheaters, and turning on your oven can be the very last thing you want to do. Fortunately, we've pulled together a whole variety of desserts that are all about assembling rather than baking, and will help you keep your cool. First up is a classic icebox cake, perfect for Independence Day potlucks or other summertime events. And speaking of the 4th of July, we'll take a little trip back to the 1700s to see what some of America's founding fathers and mothers most enjoyed at dessert time. So grab a cup of coffee and get ready for some sweet talk. Andrea, something that we both love to do in the summer, aside from baking, is of course reading. And we wanted to invite all of our preheated listeners. In the July 23rd episode, we're going to do a little summertime, fun time, preheated book club. So be gathering your summer titles. You can be posting those to Facebook. We'll have a link there. And hopefully we'll have a really good group of books for for folks to read this summer, wherever the summertime takes you. Are you starting any this summer, Andrea? I have already started, and um, I love the summertime beach reads, which for me, the definition is that it's not a terribly heavy book. I can put it down, pick it up, put it down, pick it up. I don't need a lot of concentration to get back into it. I finished one last night that I absolutely loved, and it does have quite a bit of food in it. It's called Standard Deviation. I don't think I would call this one a summertime beach read. Okay. I would call it contemporary fiction. You know I love my dysfunctional family fiction. <laughs> so it, it falls nicely into that category. It's very, very funny. The author is Catherine Heine or Haney. I'm not sure how you say her last name. It's H-E-I-N-Y. Okay. And I think the reason I love the book so much, other than the description of the cooking and the food, which is a, a big part of the book, is her sense of humor. Yes. When I'm reading a book that I really like, I read on my Kindle. And when I think things are funny, I'll highlight them so I can go back and look at them later. Oh, that's a great idea. Huh. Yeah. Within, I think, the first like three chapters, I had already done like 45 highlights. And I highlight something when I am laughing out loud. Yes. Yes. Upon looking on Goodreads, I see that people either give this book a five star like I did or a one star and say that these are horrible people doing horrible things. So I would like to (laughs) share that other perspective. There's a caveat. Yeah, there's a caveat. But they're eating some good food, maybe, while they're doing it. They're eating some good food and they're really funny while they're doing these horrible things. Hey, you know one, um, Andrea, I know we both read, and that is Little Fires Everywhere by Celeste Ng. Yes. And did you hear the news that Reese Witherspoon has optioned that book? I'm so excited. Yes. Yeah, that's going to be great. Uh, It's going to be a good movie. I am in the middle of one I really like called Greatest Hits, and I can't off the top of my head remember the author. It is a singer looking back at her life through the songs that she has written over the years of her life. It's really great. And it takes place in in London and around in England. So I'm enjoying that. Although not a lot of food in that. And it's okay. You can read a book without food. You know, it's all right. It's allowable. Oh, that's true. 
I also think that I do like the feature in my Kindle that once it sees what book I've purchased or completed, it recommends others that I like. Yeah. Yeah. So since I just finished this food book, what I'm getting is all of these other food book recommendations. So I saw one pop up on my list yesterday called The Cake Therapist. Oh. So I think I might see if I can get that one. It had a beautiful cover. So I'm looking forward to that. What do you think qualifications are necessary to be a cake therapist? I don't know. Yeah. But <laughs> I certainly am willing to find out. Let us know. Well, so listeners, if if you are about to kick off your summertime reading, uh, let us know, and we'll love to share listener favorites on the July 23rd episode. Up first this month in our Some Assembly Required Month is a strawberry icebox cake. This comes from the Kitchen website. It is by author Faith Durand, and she's someone who has written Speaking of books, a book I'm interested in called Bakeless Sweets. Have you ever heard of that one, Stefan? No, that sounds great. Doesn't that sound good? Yeah. And perfect for summertime. Absolutely. So this is a really nice and straightforward icebox cake. My mother-in-law mentioned to me once that she hoped we would do icebox cakes because she remembered back in the 50s when those were a big thing. Yeah, you know, I had not ever had an icebox cake until I moved to England in college, and one of my roommates would make them, and I thought they were just incredible. It was a magical thing she was pulling out of the out of the fridge, and along the lines of something we both enjoy, which is a banana pudding, which uses a cookie, or in this case, a graham cracker, mm-hmm. and is softened up with, with the cream to kind of create its own new cake then. Yes. Looking forward to this one. Yeah. Yeah. This one uh, looks fairly straightforward as well. You're using a couple of pounds of fresh strawberries, uh, a hefty amount of heavy cream, three and three quarters cups. Yes. A little bit of powdered sugar, some vanilla, some optional rose water, and then four sleeves of graham crackers. And then for your garnish, a couple of ounces of dark chocolate. I have done some follow-up since we had that discussion about heavy cream and whipping cream and all that kind of stuff. I Oh, good. Yeah, I really paid attention last time I went to my grocery store, and it turns out you were right. Oh, that's always nice to hear. Let's just say that again. You were right. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> there is a heavy whipping cream and a whipping cream. Yeah. And so the heavy whipping cream said it was 36% butterfat. Yeah. And the whipping cream said it was either 32 or 30. I didn't write it down because I thought there was no way I would forget. (laughs) I went ahead and bought the heavy whipping cream. I bought the one that was the highest fat. My experience too, as a bit of a cautionary tale, is we're embarking on these desserts that have so much cream. The heavier, the faster it will turn into butter. So you really want to watch it when you're whipping it, that it goes to overbeaten very quickly. Yes, that is a really good point. I'm glad you mentioned that. When I went to that paleo desserts class we talked about a couple of months ago, yeah, we were having some heavy whipping cream, and she just poured it into a mason jar, screwed the lid on, and then passed it around. And I remember thinking to myself, why is she passing the cream around? And she just had each one of us shake it a few times. Yeah. And sure enough, in just about a minute, we had whipping cream. I couldn't believe how quickly it came together. When I was in kindergarten, Andrea, we did that same thing, but we made butter. So it's been a, <laughs> that little exercise has been around a long time. <laughs> My nephew in New Orleans still makes butter, yep. and they do it at Thanksgiving. Yep. I think it's so cute. You know, you just keep passing the jar around. People give it a little bit of shake. I love that. I still remember that. 
I have never made an icebox cake, although I've eaten them. Another word for them, I guess, is a train cake because you are stacking the crackers like a train. That's something that I've heard them called as well. Do you think you're going to use rose water? I sent all my rose water to you before I moved last spring, so I am bereft of the rose water, but you may be drowning in it. I think I have two perfect bottles yeah. of rose water <laughs> yes. awaiting in my pantry, Excellent. so it would be silly for me not to use it. <laughs> the one thing I'm a little concerned about is a graham cracker. This, for a country awash in a variety of biscuits and cookies, this is not one that seems popular, so I am not above going to the American food store and paying $12 for box graham crackers if need be, but I'm going to see if there might be something I can substitute if I can't easily find those here. Oh, interesting. You know, being the month of strawberries in June, there are so many strawberry recipes popping up on my Instagram and, you know, Pinterest feeds yes. and all of that sort of thing. Yeah. And I've noticed numerous people making their own graham crackers to make, you know, desserts like this. Oh. But in my mind, that defeats the purpose <laughs> of this whole no-bake, yeah. easy-to-assemble. But I guess I'm just mentioning that as a, you know, very last-ditch scenario. There are recipes out there to make your own graham crackers. Okay, right. We're trying not to turn on the oven, but if I can't, right. maybe that's maybe <laughs> that's something. I bet that's delicious. I bet that's one of those things that is just so different than buying a box. You know, I had the exact opposite reaction. I, I oh, saw really? that. I saw that and I immediately thought, I bet that's one of those things that you do a ton of work and then you can't taste the difference anyway. Yeah. <laughs> At least in terms of this cake. Now, maybe on its yeah, yeah. own. Okay. But, you know, once you pile it with four pounds or, or sorry, four cups of <laughs> heavy whipping cream and right. two pounds of yes. strawberries, eh, I don't know that you're going to notice. Well, that, that could very well be. So I'll just have to do some investigating here and see how that goes. British strawberries are also out. They are delicious. They are everywhere. They are plentiful and cheap. So I am looking forward to using those as well. This should be a very pretty cake, I'm thinking, with the white and the tan from the graham cracker, the red from the berries. Andrea, are you making anything else? Uh, speaking of the, the glut of strawberries, what's going on strawberry-wise? I can't stop making strawberry things. I <laughs> I mentioned in our past their prime segment that mm. when I go to my local fruit stand, I go to get a pint and I keep walking away yes. with more. Yes. So, so far, I have reached, I have not bought a, a full flat, but I have only bought half flats, which is six pints. And I just can't help it. They're just so beautiful no. and they're so perfect and they're yes. so good right now. So yes, I did make a recipe for healthy strawberry oat bars and that came from Well Plated. I think the reason they're called healthy, she uses white whole wheat flour. And my apologies mm. to, I think it was Natalie Dawn. She posted on our Facebook group and asked how to get that in the UK. And all the research I did, I, I couldn't really come to an answer on that. Do you have ideas on the whole white whole wheat flour thing? Is that just something you can get from King Arthur here in the States? Or is that something that's available in the UK but just not marketed that way? Yeah, I have not seen it here. And this country has a lot of specific types of flour, strong flour, bread flour. Mm -hmm. I I don't know even what you would substitute. I was really into that in the States for a while. And I could just find it at the grocery store aside from King Arthur. I think there's someone else mm -hmm. who was manufacturing that. But 
it is a very specific product and it must have something to do with how it's milled to turn it it's softer it acts more like a white flour but it is somehow still whole wheat and that's what I when I was reading about it on King Arthur it seemed like you know there's the three pieces of the wheat germ right like the endosperm the the germ and the bran and something about the and I, I'm sure I got just got that wrong by the way so please forgive me it sounded really <laughs> good though <laughs> But the white whole, you know, normal whole wheat flour, let's say, has all three components. The white whole wheat flour, I think maybe they strip it of that outer component or something like that. So I saw that answer and I thought, oh, okay, that's the answer. But then I started digging a little bit more. And a lot of the people in the UK were saying, well, whole wheat flour is actually made from red berry wheat. And over here, we use this kind of wheat. And so this, and so I just, it honestly got too complex for me. So listeners, we would love it if you guys could help Natalie Dawn out on that and let us know if white whole wheat flour is something that you can only get here in the U.S. or if it's something available in other countries and if so how is it labeled and how do you know that you're getting it? Yeah absolutely. So just to recap that is the no-bake strawberry icebox cake from the kitchen and we did a recipe we loved from the kitchen back in episode 41. Uh, That was a banana blueberry cake that we really liked. Oh that's right. Yeah, so looking forward to this one. You are essentially layering the graham crackers with the cream and the berries and hopefully having a lot of success with that. We will post that link on our Facebook page, on our Pinterest page, and in the show notes on our website, preheatedpodcast.com. This is episode 82. Well, Stefan, you and I both love food history. And back in May, during our Royal Treatment Month, we love learning about some of the favorite foods of the British royal family. That's right. So in honor of Independence Day, we thought taking a look back at some historic American favorite foods, specifically dessert, would be in order. Let's start right up at the top with good old George Washington. Yes, George, the commander of the Continental Army during the Revolutionary War. And our first president, of course, George was nevertheless a fairly simple guy who loved nuts and fruits. And (laughs) even though, which you have to think, um, he had false teeth. How is that, Mm, you know, going for him? Probably not well. Anyhow, even though his whole chop down a cherry tree thing is a myth, it may be rooted in fact because apparently the cherry was his favorite fruit. And Andrea, you will be happy to hear that one of your and my favorites was very popular during Washington's time, and that is the fruitcake. See, it just spans the ages. It It never goes out of style. Timeless. I always knew George had good taste. That's right. How about another famous American patriot? Let's think about Paul Revere. Yes. Though he might not have had time for dessert on the night of his famous midnight ride, perhaps he slowed down enough to eat it on other days when he wasn't alerting his countrymen that the Redcoats had landed. (laughs) Yes, indeed he did. Paul Revere was a well-to-do and fairly gregarious guy who enjoyed the finer things in life and probably ate well of imported foods like pineapples, rum, molasses, and tea. And research shows he liked to eat the best foods available in generous quantities with good friends. So modern there, Paul Revere. Some of our old favorites, Andrea, probably appeared on his table too, including, wait for it, suet pudding, like our Sussex Pond pudding you loved so much back in episode 73.5. And rum punch, which sounds to me like a a less eggy eggnog. Ah, oh, rum punch, pineapple, suet pudding. Yeah, <laughs> he is my kind of guy. 
Moving on a bit, Alexander Hamilton has had such a resurgence thanks to the famous musical bearing his name. And though I haven't seen the show yet, I don't think there's a song devoted to his favorite dessert. Though maybe there should be. The first Secretary of the Treasury and the $10 Founding Father Without a Father and his wife Eliza, they loved vanilla ice cream. And in fact, he and Eliza introduced it to George and Martha Washington when they hosted them for dinner in 1789. Despite Hamilton's many differences with Thomas Jefferson, which is well documented in the play, uh, he's said to have loved dining at Monticello because it was often served. And you know, Andrea, I know that you sang about Valencia oranges. That's true. Back a couple of episodes. So maybe we can convince uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda to add a vanilla ice cream song to his hit musical. What do you think, (laughs) Mr. Miranda? I'll await your email. Your obedient servant, S.Cone. <laughs> Speaking of Thomas Jefferson, we know from our Blue Ribbon award-winning Raspberry Flummery all the way back in episode 12.5 that Jefferson introduced this French favorite to America. Any ideas on what else he liked, Stefan? Yes, so he was our first Secretary of State and third President, of course, and he was such a gourmet. We can thank him for introducing so many French favorites to the States, among them various cakes and custards and, yes, ice cream. And Andrea, his favorite and trademark dessert while in office was Old Virginia Pound Cake with brandied peaches and French vanilla ice cream, a dessert I think we'd both happily eat today. Oh, yeah. Folks, if you are out and about this summer and you are in D.C., you can check out the handwritten ice cream recipe, Thomas Jefferson's handwritten ice cream recipe at the U.S. Library of Congress. Oh, I didn't know that was there. That sounds so cool. That would be a fun stop to make on our preheated road trip. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yes. It's going to happen. Well, let's talk about some famous American women. Abigail Adams was the second first lady, and she loves something called Indian pudding that many people still eat at Thanksgiving time. So tell us a little bit about that. One of my favorite first ladies and indeed historical women was so ahead of her time on issues of emancipation and women's rights and the role of women in political office. So she and John Adams, her husband, were from Massachusetts, and they enjoyed really simple New England foods, something like Indian pudding. Now, this is a dessert made of milk, cornmeal, molasses, and eggs, and is still, Andrea, traditionally eaten by many people on the eastern seaboard at Thanksgiving today. I have not had this. Have you had this? No. And is it cooked, or is it just like a bowl of wet mush? No. I mean, that's you see those ingredients, and you think it might be kind of breakfasty like but it is yeah. it almost looks souffle-ish yeah it, yeah, it would have to be mm-hmm. if it had eggs yeah. okay so yeah, there yeah. are just okay. many many recipes out there so if we have any listeners who if this is a favorite or a, a family favorite if you do eat it at thanksgiving time or else let us know on facebook we'd love to see some of those historical recipes yes definitely Moving on a few years, Dolly Madison is a first lady who is really credited with shaping the role of hostess at the White House. Is that right? That is right. The wife of James Madison, our fourth president, who also wrote the Bill of Rights, was one of the most famous hostesses to ever live in the White House. And in fact, she's believed to have started so many of the traditions that still are ongoing, including, I was amused to find out, the Easter egg roll. Oh, that's a good one. And despite her Quaker upbringing, she was a very lavish entertainer, said to regularly serve, get ready for this, layer cakes, spice cakes, cinnamon cake and cookies, pink peppermint ice cream, apricot ice cream, champagne, and luxury of luxuries, ice. Oh. And yeah, big time luxury. And her recipe, I thought this was so interesting, her recipe for soft gingerbread cake has been used by many first ladies well into modern times, so by the White House chef still preparing and serving that to White House guests. Ooh, a little footnote for us there. We might have to look that one up come holiday time. Ah, uh, yes. 
Finally, many people will be flying the Stars and Stripes on 4th of July. So what about good old Betsy Ross? I know there's been some controversy about the famous story that she sewed the first U.S. flag, but she was a single working mother who ran her own business. So I'm thinking that she, if anyone, could have really used a dessert from time to time. Yeah, whether or not she sewed the flag is uh, maybe a myth, but she was undoubtedly a single working mother and entrepreneur. She ran an upholstery business and repaired uniforms, tents, and blankets for the Continental Army. So it might make sense that she was also making flags. Her particular dessert favorites are lost to time, but we know that turkey pot pie was a well-known and well-loved savory favorite. We love our meat pies on this show as well. Mm. And we can also assume that many of the era's sweets were on her table at least once in a while, such as baked apples, custards, jellies, and jams. And to deviate from the food just a bit, because I'm a history nerd, speaking of that flag myth, in 2015, a receipt was discovered at Mount Vernon, which is George Washington's home in Virginia, payable to John Ross, who was Betsy's late husband. And many claim that's the proof that she indeed created the first flag. Listeners, if you're looking for a historic, truly all-American idea for your 4th of July potluck, we hope we've given you some sweet ideas. I'm thinking a cherry ice cream with nuts, (laughs) but maybe Sussex Pond pudding or raspberry flummery. You know, I say go bold or go home. Uh, Fruitcake and rum punch. Your potluck (laughs) won't know what hit it. (laughs) I wanted to give a shout out to a great resource for this episode, this mini segment, which is called (laughs) foodtimeline.org. Andrea, honestly, I think it may be directed at high school students, but I was immersed and (laughs) I learned a lot. So I I mean, it's such a great resource. I think it's great. Who cares who it's geared to? If it's interesting and accurate, I'm all for it. All kinds of historic figures and then their favorite foods. You could click and and learn all about their foods and, and lots of other great, great tidbits about them. So. Oh, excellent. Well, thanks for doing all that research. That was really fun to learn about. So I am looking forward to our 4th of July celebrations and seeing what our listeners come up with. Well, the timer's buzzed, and we've got to get this episode onto the cooling rack. Next week, we'll see how our icebox cake is stacked up and introduce another cool treat that needs only minimal assembly and some time in the freezer, a classic semi-frito. We'll also discover what our favorite dessert says about us. Yep, it's another internet personality quiz, sure to have deep and important insights. So join us for more fun in the sun, and if you bake or assemble along with us this week, be sure to post pics to our Facebook community. Remember, you can find us and our featured recipes on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, and on Facebook, Pinterest, Twitter, and Instagram, where we're at Preheated Pod. If you like our show, please tell a friend and consider ranking and reviewing us on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download our show. Until next time, I'm Stefan Cohn in London. And I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. Thanks for listening, and sweet dreams.
Preheated is written, performed, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stephen Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.